Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. As you recall, Paul begins the 13th chapter and the last chapter of 2 Corinthians by talking about his examination of the church at Corinth. There are things there that need to be corrected. Paul has written to them to tell them what those things are and to give them an opportunity to correct them by themselves. Some of these things have been going on for a long time. Some of these things were addressed in the first Corinthian epistle, and now are still unresolved, as they ought to be. They're not thoroughly resolved, as Paul writes the second Corinthian epistle. Some of them have been addressed personally by the Apostle Paul on his second visit to them, his first one being the time when he planted the church in Corinth, and the second one when he came back to visit them and to address some of the problems that remained in the church. And so by personal visits, Paul has addressed these problems by two epistles, and actually there's another one that is not included in our New Testament. Paul has addressed these problems, and still some of them have not been properly resolved. And so Paul has written in this second Corinthian epistle what it is that needs to be corrected, and he has a list of things in the last part of chapter 12 And then moving into chapter 13, he says, I'm coming to visit you. After giving you an opportunity from the time you receive this letter until I arrive to deal with these things, I'm going to give you sufficient time so that I'm not going to arrive within a week or two after you receive the epistle, but over after a suitable period of time, I'm going to come and I'm going to examine the church. I'm going to examine the members of the church. I'm going to, going to investigate the reports that have come to me of things that need to be corrected to see if, in fact, these things are true. And it will be a fair examination, and I will only consider a person guilty if there is irrefutable evidence, just like would be presented in a court of law. And only then will I take action, but I can promise you that I am coming and I will take action. I will examine you. But as we come to verse 5, Paul talks about a different kind of examination, namely self-examination. How they must examine themselves. He's trying to help them to make the corrections that he's been urging them to make. 
And so he tells them now the importance of self-examination. And we will continue looking at that subject on this Friday, December 8. Mindful that you have joined us and we have a responsibility before God to teach you accurately and clearly what the Bible says and thankful for those whose financial gifts enable us to continue teaching God's Word on this station. I'm going to read chapter 13, beginning at verse 1 and down through verse 5. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell you, as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you think, seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now this verse, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? So the first four verses talk about Paul's examining them, an appropriate examination by an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the founder of this church, by one who has God-given responsibilities of spiritual leadership in their church. And Paul will come to examine them, but now he says the examination that is most important is not the one that I'm going to do. He doesn't say that's not important. It's important enough that he's got to do it, that he's going to do it, that he tells them that he's going to do it. He prepares them for his coming. He takes on this very difficult and unwelcome task because it needs to be done. There's no way that we can consider Paul's examination of the church to be unimportant, but he says, here's the examination that is even more important. It is your examination of yourself. Examine yourselves, not one another. Test yourselves, not testing those around you. And the important subject of this examination is salvation. And this is very, what should I say, very difficult for some people to understand and accept and apply to themselves. And yet here it is in the Word of God. But it is important that professing Christians examine themselves regularly regarding their salvation. Now, this, in the minds of some people, seems to go against the doctrine of eternal security, often called in, in more common vernacular, once saved, always saved. That's been the, the topic of discussion among Christians for many, many, many decades, even for two or three centuries or more, as you have some on one side of the question that say, it is possible for a born-again believer to lose his salvation. And others on the other side of the question come back and say, it is impossible 
for a born-again believer to lose his salvation. And I'm happy to come down on the side of the second second part of that equation. The Bible does teach that it's impossible for a person who has been born again to lose their salvation. Well, then what's the purpose of a Christian examining himself, himself to see if he is in the faith? Simply this, not everyone who professes to be saved has truly been saved. Not everyone who claims to be a born-again child of God has been born again. The truth is, everyone who is truly saved will remain saved. Once saved, always saved. But not everyone who professes to have been saved is saved. And many times, people fall away from their Christian profession, from their Christian lifestyle, from their, their Christian habits of attending church and, and uh, serving the Lord. People fall away from that precisely because they never were truly saved to begin with. They haven't lost their salvation. That's, that's where the misunderstanding comes in. Yes, it's possible for a born-again believer to lose his salvation. Well, I know several people who've done that. No, you know several people who have fallen away from their profession of faith. You don't know anybody who has lost their salvation. But you no doubt know some people who have lost their profession of faith. And that's the difference. Everyone who professes to be saved is not genuinely saved. And here's the point. The scriptures command every professing believer to examine themselves from time to time to see if they are truly saved. And a refusal to do that is maybe one of the most most concerning marks of a professing Christian. If you're not willing to do that, you are more likely to not be truly saved than a person who is willing to do it. In the first place, it's a matter of obedience. If the Bible tells you to do it, you should do it. If the Bible tells you to do it, what possible excuse can you have for not doing it? Well, I don't see the reason for it. doesn't matter. If the Bible tells you to do it, then it must be done. If the Bible tells you to do it, it's because God believes that it needs to be done. If the Bible tells you to do it, it doesn't matter whether you understand the reason for it or not, though I hope to help you understand the reason in this broadcast today. But if the Bible tells you to do it, you do it. And the Bible tells us clearly that right here in verse 5. Examine yourselves, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. That is, he writes to every member of the church, which is another way of saying every professing Christian in the city of Corinth. All of you individually examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. In the first place, you examine yourself. In the second place, you test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? If you're born again, of course he is. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified? That is, you fail the test. And so, 
we are to test ourselves, all of us who are professing Christians are to test ourselves to see if we have evidences of the new birth. And the evidence is not that we made a profession of faith. The evidence is not that we prayed a certain prayer. The evidence is not that we walked down an aisle. I heard an evangelist one time say something like this, trying to help people with assurance of salvation. Those of you who are troubled about your salvation, here's what you do. Pray and ask Jesus to save you today. Yes, you've done that before, but do it today. And write down on a wooden stake the date that you did that. And go out and drive that stake somewhere in your backyard. And the next time you have any questions or doubts about your relationship with God, whether or not you're truly saved or not, if you're, not, if you're having trouble with assurance of salvation, go out there and look at that stake and say, there it is. That's the proof. That date, along with no doubt other dates, but that date for sure that I know of, I asked Christ into my heart. And of course, if I asked him, he saved me, right? Well, not necessarily. What about the text that says, you have you ask and you have not because you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lust. What in the world does that mean? Well, we can ask for something not for the right reason, for the wrong motive. We can ask for something simply out of selfish purposes. In other words, when it comes to salvation, we can ask Jesus into our heart to escape hell, a selfish desire, not a bad one necessarily, but nevertheless a very self-centered desire. I want to escape hell without any thought of repentance, without any thought of surrender to Christ as my Lord, without any thought of the responsibility I have to live for him. I just want to pray this prayer so that I go to heaven and not go to hell. That's not genuine salvation, dear friend. And we'll talk more about it on the broadcast Monday. Please join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.